0: Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to Evening Dhamma. Tonight we're looking at Purification of View. And this is the first of the Purifications relating to Wisdom. Uh, the first two purifications correspond directly with morality and concentration or sila and samadhi the third to the seventh as I said have to do with wisdom so this is number three And in a way, this is where it becomes more about results than about practice. Because it's it's hard to really say that you're practicing wisdom, you're training in wisdom. It, it is described that way. In fact, to some extent you wouldn't... and so to some extent you don't even practice concentration concentration as a result but the point is really what you're practicing is mindfulness throughout the path when you cultivate ethics it's really about being mindful true ethical behavior morality proper behavior and speech On the path comes from being mindful. It doesn't come from saying, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. That is, of course, temporary. I mean, it is a form of morality, but it's only makeshift. It doesn't actually set the mind in the right state to cultivate concentration. But when your mind is, when you're mindful, morality, your ethical behavior, the behavior that results from mindfulness, leads to focus, to samadhi. And when you're focused in the right way, and you continue to be mindful uh, with a a focused sort of mindfulness, then wisdom arises. And so when we talk about right view or purification of view, Uh, we're we're not we're not exactly talking about views we're certainly considering the the danger of of beliefs and views Uh, especially the views of self and uh, identity but the purification of view is much more about a purification of the way we look at the world. <laughs> so view in the in sense of literally how we view reality. Our ordinary way of, of viewing reality is based on concepts of people, places, things. And so if I tell you people and places and things don't exist, it seems absurd. And in fact, it, it is rather m- meaningless to say something like that. Because in order to say that something exists or doesn't exist, you have to ask, in, in what sense? <laughs> right? In what sense do I not exist, do you not exist? Obviously, clearly, in some sense people, places, and things do exist. And so to some extent it appears somewhat arbitrary which way of looking at the world you choose. Obviously if you choose to look at the world from a phenomenological point of view based on experiences, well you're never going to experience a person, a place, or a thing Someone asked me um, this morning, I think, when it was one of you who asked me recently, does the brain exist? No, the, the it was one of my online meditators. Do the mind and the brain exist independent of each other? And it's a good question because it, 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 it illustrates this point quite well. Because from a point of view of concepts, of, of entities, The brain exists and the mind doesn't exist. Um, Because you don't you look around and you don't find the mind, right? Mind isn't a physical thing that you can you can identify. There it is. The mind isn't anywhere, it doesn't take up space. The mind is not like this table or this rug or a person. Which is why we get into this, based on this sort of view, we get into the idea of uh, the per- a person being made up of the brain. And, and so the mind is just the brain. Because we don't have any any way of thinking about the, the mind apart from the brain. It's completely based on the way we look at the world, our view. Contrary, from the point of view of a phenomen- from the phenomenological point of view, the mind exists. clearly, the mind is how phenomena are experienced and experienced. and the brain doesn't exist. because suppose you see a brain, well that's just seeing. And based on the seeing there is the conceiving brain. And it's just the conceiving. I, mean, I don't know if this seems somewhat theoretical, but it's clearly not for anyone who's practiced meditation, this is the shift that needs to take place from one to the other. And the point, the claim I think that we would uh, clearly, try to make quite clearly is that they're not equal ways of looking at the world. A conceptual way of looking at the world doesn't really help you, doesn't really change, doesn't change the way you are. When when we talk about experience and wisdom in an ordinary sense, not in a Buddhist or meditative sense, it's a very hard thing for us to grasp because we're mostly not cultivating wisdom. The wisdom has nothing to do with concepts, it can't have anything to do with concepts. And you can look at, you can take a microscope and look at how the brain works and I can tell you all about how the addiction cycle in the brain works I, I don't know too much about it but I have asked people about it and our scientists could tell you so much about how addiction works they can be very clear about it how the addiction cycle works in the brain but be completely powerless to free themselves from addiction let alone anyone else and so they offer all these medications Uh, psychoactive drugs that uh, appear to change the makeup of the brain and therefore somehow cure the problem but of course they don't come close to curing the problem but when we talk about wisdom we're talking about experience We don't perhaps realize it, but we talk about people who have lived, uh, older people, who have lived a long life having wisdom. It has very much to do with the experiences, usually the suffering that they've gone through personally, their personal experiences of reality, How, how, how they've lived through addiction, how they've lived through suffering how they live through, through difficulty, you know their perspective on the world, not in terms of people they've met or so on, the things they've seen, but into the completely in regards to their experiences. And so it's absolutely essential for to gain true wisdom uh, that we take up this, that we take up an intensive form of this experience-based learning, and by learning we mean learning wisdom, not learning intelligence. What are you learning? You're learning, um, the content of your learning is wisdom, the content is not intelligent, you're not trying to gain intelligence, And, and these are just words, but they're kind of important, because by intelligence we would of course mean information, like I'm giving you information right now, I can't give you enlightenment. I can't give you wisdom. So wisdom is a useful word to separate out, separate away. And this is where wisdom really resides. This is how we distinguish wisdom from intelligence. Wisdom is what you gain through experience. So this is what you begin to to acquire through the meditation practice. And it's the, th- uh, the one thing about wisdom and, and um, well, w- wisdom that uh, I think confounds people is they think of it as something deep, abstruse, uh, far away, you know, something uh, enigmatic, elusive. But in fact, wisdom is when you know that the stomach is rising. My teacher used to say knowing the stomach is rising, when you know the stomach is falling, that's wisdom. Wisdom is actually quite simple. Wisdom is to see things as they are. And the first step in wisdom is to be able to see the rising, to know rising is rising, falling is falling. I mean, the Buddha said as much. Let seeing be seeing. That's how what we train. The first and most, sort of the 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 the, the, the most essential uh, stage of wisdom. So in some sense, most the most essential because it it really sets you on the path. You know, without it, you're not even on the path. The most essential is this uh, this acquiring of right view, looking at the world in the right way. So when you walk, it's not you walking. An ordinary way of looking at walking is, this is me walking, right? So I ask you, right stepping right, stepping left, are they one thing or separate things? You think, well, it's, it's me walking, it's one thing course the meditator thinks that's absurd right if I told you this is one thing and this is the same thing is it at this point I'm hoping that you're quite clear that they're two very se- very separate things because they're two experiences very clear there's something you should feel co- proud about I mean, don't feel proud but should give you confidence oh well, yeah I'm not I'm not without wisdom because it, it seems quite simple, but it confounds people who haven't practiced meditation. So, the first thing is the ability to separate reality and the moments instead of things. Uh, an important um, milestone, if you will, is, is when the meditator makes the shift and realizes that entities don't exist from moment to moment all that exists is experiences that arise and cease when you're walking what is real? this idea of me walking it's all up here it's something you think, yeah I'm walking no, this is you thinking, this is a thought and that thought arises and ceases the foot, the right foot moving Arises and ceases. The left foot moving. I mean, this is intellectual. I can tell you this. It doesn't really help you. There's two groups. Some people hear this and they think they understand it conceptually, understand it rationally. And the other people are saying, well, of course, yes. This is how I see things. These are the people who have reached this purification of view. So, and it's probably not. It's not incredibly helpful that I'm describing it to people who haven't meditated, but I assume that everyone here is is on the verge of this. So I'd urge you at this point, and from this point in the, this series of talks, it's all going to be very much about your meditation practice. If you're not meditating, this sort of talk's not going to be very useful to you. And some, for some people, it might even be to their detriment, because when they begin to meditate, they'll be looking and trying to. Okay, he said, I'm going to see this, where is it? Oh. And, uh, mild detriment in the sense that you might obsess over it. And, but it's not, it's not um, prohibitive in the sense that it's going to uh, prevent you from realizing. You just have to be mindful in you're thinking, thinking. But this comes through mindfulness. The ability to understand death is what we, what we call it. That death is death of a person. is just a concept. That's not what real death is. Real death is every moment. Understand that everything that arises ceases after just a moment. What really exists is not people, places, and things. It's experiences. To understand that this this world of concepts is quite problematic because it, it belies a underlying I- impermanence, or it, it, it masks an underlying impermanence. If you say this person exists, this is where the shock comes when they die. You think, well, what happened to the person? When we think of things as being this, and when they change, we get upset, when they break, when they disappear. If we understand reality from a point of view of of experience, it's, it's quite useful. And There's much that comes from it, but basically what comes is we don't have these expectations. If you understand that stepping right, stepping left, and the stomach rising and falling, if you understand that these things arise and cease, there's nothing to hold on to. When you look at a person, it's just an experience. When you think about your own person, who you are is just moments of experience. What are you going to hold on to? What will you cling to? And when you stop clinging, of course, well, this is the chain reaction of stages of wisdom that come. And the second thing about purification of you is the ability to distinguish body and mind. So the first part is a distinguishing body from body and mind from mind, meaning moments of physical experience from the next moment. Born, die, born, die. And the mental, the same. When you know the right foot is moving, that knowledge arises and ceases as well. When you know the left foot is moving, that knowledge arises. And ceases. So this is a rising and ceasing moment, the discreteness of phenomena. But the second one is the ability to distinguish physical and mental. And uh, it's a bit of a mind game to think, well, is, is the physical different from the mental? That's not really so important. Although for a meditator it should be conceptually quite clear to say, yes, the mind is obviously something quite different from the body, or the physical aspect of experience is quite different from the mental aspect. But, um, you know, the real point is simply to be able to say that's all there is. What is reality made of? Really these two things. There's physical aspects, clearly. I mean, when I walk, there's the feelings of pressure and hot and cold and hard and soft. But there's also clearly the awareness of it, right? My foot can move and my mind's somewhere else. I'm thinking about something else entirely. So clearly there are two distinct and and individual and entities if the mind doesn't go to the foot there's no experience of of walking right so so and by that you think well if my mind is somewhere else am i not walking it's like if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear does it really make a sound what that tells us is that, yes, no, the physical in some sense exists independent of the, the mental because clearly if my mind is distracted while my foot is still moving, right? it's not like reality goes on pause because the mind isn't focused on it. If you're driving down the street and you get distracted, it doesn't mean the car stops. The physical reality continues. But the mental reality yeah, is, is distinct from the physical reality. And what's important about this is simply to destroy the notion of, uh, of a self or a soul or a god or anything of that sort. And this is what I mean. This is where it really Im- impacts our views, changes our views. People can't exist. Souls, selves to understand that all of these things exist really only on a conceptual level they end up being um, groupings of experience that are conveniently it's convenient and practical it's practical to say that this is a microphone and this is a computer and it's practical to know those things and not just say oh here's an experience of seeing from a meditative point All you need is experience, but from a practical, worldly point, of course, you need to live in the world of concepts. So again, these two different ways of looking at reality. But in order to cultivate wisdom, you need this way of looking at the world. And so this is the first important step on the path to to wisdom. Dittiri Sundi cultivating right view or right outlook. There you go, that's number three in the purifications. That's our Dhamma for tonight. if the website loads Website's not loading, so that's an excuse not to answer questions. That's all for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. I got the audio feed working as well, so hopefully there was an audio stream for anyone who might happen to be following that or listening to the MP3s later. Those MP3s should be if all is working as planned, up on our website. Thank you all again for tuning in. Have a good night.